It fooled me. We can't get fooled again. In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade in downtown Dallas. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. You don't know what you're talking about, do you? Sir? Because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I've earned everything I've got. If you don't like what we tell you to believe in, we'll kill you. Alright kids, listen. Podcast, Don't listen to this. If you're not of age. What's of age? Of age is like, you can make your own decisions in life without parental guidance. 18, so 16? Uh, 18. We're not in Atlanta. Georgia is we're not in Atlanta. I, that's what I said. We're not in Atlanta. This is 18 and up. Look. Atlanta. We're a bunch of, we're a bunch of dudes and we're, we're going to say some really bad words. And probably some things that might offend you, but don't listen to this. Can't wait till you listen. Yeah, don't. If do you're it. eighteen and up, don't do it. If you're eighteen, and yeah. Up. Hey everybody, this is Eric, Sean, Jorge. Yes, that's us. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Conspiracy Podcast. Podcast. <laughs> Get down. Get, Get down. You know what's up. Uh, so this is the first. Of what will be probably four episodes, maybe three. We'll see how it, how it goes. Uh, John F. Kennedy. It's a meaty one. Oh, you know, we got a lot of worst. Get today. This is the worst one, honestly. When I started um, researching this, I was terrified. <laughs> honestly, terrified because it's it's a big one. It's the most researched conspiracy probably on, ever on in the history of mankind ever. Right. So we want to make sure we get it right, and so we yeah, got like, a lot of what, details. Yeah, share. like 2,000 – I looked it up – 2,000 books Damn. just on his death. Not on his life. Just on his on death. On his death. There's three books on his life. Yeah, 2,000. <laughs> like 2, over 100 movies were made about his death. 2,000 books, 100 movies. It's That's insanity. Insane. I, I was – Anyway, so I thought when I started doing this, I was like, what's the point? Like, what, what do, do we have to add? Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, you yeah. got you deep dive, you go, okay, you know, what, but what do we have to add? I don't know, you know, and I, I kept thinking to myself, what's the point? You know, whatever. Uh, well, first but, of all, everybody's going to be able to save watching a thousand movies. And a thousand I know, movies. right? <laughs> exactly. So that's what we're trying to, uh, hopefully, that's what we bring to the table here is. A new look. It's now been 59 years since it happened. God, that's crazy. Yeah. 59 years. So uh, now what's interesting is growing up, I was on the conspiracy bandwagon. Oh, dude, for, for sure. sure. I, JFK, I, for sure. Well, see, a conspiracy. Uh, I mean, I, I was on the conspiracy bandwagon like this in general. Like not even just JFK, just like everything. All of things. Because I was, yeah. uh, as a kid, I was questioning just everything. Like questioning my beliefs that I was given when I was a kid. It's kind of... It always kind of made sense, but this, when this, when I found out about this, I was like, ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. I am. Might be onto something here. Yeah. So I, at the beginning of this, I have years of History Channel, you know, the little thing, the thing, thing, JFK, Oliver Stone <laughs> creeped into my life. And, I mean, you know, and that was about, you know, that was about my he wins Oscars for summary of it. But here's what I did decide at the beginning of the research of this was, okay, well, what if I actually jumped in? And what if I read the books? And what if I listened to the podcasts? What if I watched the documentaries? Which I, what if I watched the movies and then came to a conclusion by the end of it? Mm. What if? So what that if? is our goal, folks. That's right our now. goal is by the end of it, I'm going to say what I've concluded. And right. hopefully Jorge's come and, to that. And, and we you know, might have different opinions. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully Sean's come to that, but he might have already made a decision right out the <laughs> gate. Dude. Like right when we started, he said, JFK, conspiracy. 
I mean, first of all, you guys know me a little bit too well, but I, <laughs> I'm a I'm a massive conclusion first kind of guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ask questions, on looks, ask questions yeah. later. Yeah. <laughs> so here we go, guys. Uh, buckle in and uh, get ready for a deep dive into JFK. Uh, let's do it, boys. Yep. And girls. So <laughs> the assassination of John F. Kennedy is is one of those moments in American history. Dude, it's like it's like top tier Americana, but like the sh on the on the shitty side, yeah. you know. It's like yeah. we have like the good side, but then it is kind of the, like the black stain yeah. on like America as a whole. Yeah, and you go like like for example, our generation. So you're how old are you? Forty one. Forty one. How old are you? Seventy two. <laughs> so thirty three. Thirty three. I'm thirty eight. So our generation, our our biggest, in my opinion, I could be totally wrong, but. My opinion is our biggest like holy shit moment is 9/11. Oh, Bro, for yeah. sure, 100. percent We were all a, probably 18, 16. I remember 19, watching like, to turn you know, the TVs yeah, yeah. on in class, yes. and like we're, I watched it happen. Like, so you remember the where you? I were. remember the moment. I remember it where I you were. I remember yes, class. Exactly. Like, I remember so, exactly. Yeah. So our generation knows exactly where they were, when, what they were doing, etc. It so was a quintessential. J yeah. JFK was the same for the older generation. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, that yeah. was like a de like defiant, like life de they defining moment. Everything, like the class stopped or whatever, wherever you were, right. and everybody was hooked. And um, so, in my opinion, it was a bit of a gut punch to the American way of life, you know, and oh, the yeah. optimism of the 60s. That was kind of like JFK's MO was the optimism of the Democratic Party and, and, and that whole thing. So, I'm not going to go into JFK as like, the presidency and like him growing up and like that's a whole other yeah we you know we don't need to i mean it, it's a good exercise to know where he came from and his family and and the growth but i i thought the best place to start is the warren commission oh for sure i mean that's i mean that just yeah i don't you know talk, i don't even say anything right now but <laughs> just, just go into that so the warren commission is the the government's official response investigation of what happened to jfk okay so a majority of this episode is a is pretty much it's actually almost word for word the, the warren commission. commission yeah right cuz if we can start with what is the official version then we can then go from can there branch and go, off. Then you can there branch you off into the other information yeah. that has been provided. Yes, exactly. Exactly. But if we Not don't even know. necessarily conspiracy. It's actually like it's a eyewitness testimony yeah. that's not yeah. detailed in the Warren Commission. I so. actually was talking to somebody the other day, and we were talking about the JFK's conspiracy, and they didn't even know anything about J.D. Tippett. Hmm. J.D. Tippett, anyways, we'll get into it later. But J.D. Tippett is a major part of the story. They didn't even know. So the point of bringing doing the Warren Commission is that going over all the data that they they researched, they investigated, they you know they put down in an eight hundred and eighty eight page report and gave to the president. And it was actually mm. this this is a as as an aside, just throw this out there before we get into it. The Warren Commission was pretty swift. It happened not it, – it didn't take a very long time. Yeah. It was less than a year or about yeah. a year. Yeah. You know. And for for you think to accumulate that much information, you know, you – there's – I mean, there's there's investigations that are far less high profile that have gone on for oh, yeah. 10 years. How long did the 9-11 report take? Oh, dude, it took fucking oh, – it took God. fucking 12 like, – like five years, bro. Three it was like, years. It, was, yeah, it right? would, took forever. Yeah. Yeah. It took so yeah. fucking long. Okay, so – how long did this one take? This one took exactly one year. Okay. Now, normal normal podcasts in this, they do like an eerie, like, you know, boo, he's going down, you know, into Dealey Plaza and pop, 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 pop. He gets Tex shot and like, the whole Texas. thing. But, I, you know, I don't really feel like we need to do that because Everyone if you don't he got know, fucking shot, bro. if you don't know the basics, then, you know, what maybe, you maybe. Why are you listening to yes, this? Stop <laughs> listening. Yeah, you know, and then basic. tune back in because we, yeah, exactly. we want you to hear us. Yeah, we need you. Please. <laughs> so the, the, um, the actual Warren Commission was called the President's Commission on the Assassination of President Kennedy. Uh, and it was established actually by President Lyndon Johnson. Who then he took over? He took and over. And he's the one who took over he was, for JFK. Yeah, because okay. he was yeah. JFK's VP, yeah. right? That's right. Yeah. Uh, so they came out a year later, 
with an 888-page report presented to President Johnson. Got it. It's a big fucking report. I mean, that that sounds like one of the bills that we're going like, yeah. to vote on. That. <laughs> so this is basically, this is some of the excerpts, yeah. as you call of it, from the report. We're obviously not going to read all 888 pages. No, no, it's, no. It's, <laughs> but it's actually really good. So the Warren Commission met formally for the first time on December 5th, 1963, right? Uh, this was less than 30 days after Kennedy was killed. Okay. So Kennedy was killed November 22nd, 63. Okay. They met for the first time December 5th. Okay. I see. Yeah. Okay. Um, so a couple of misconceptions about the Warren Commission. Hearings were closed to the public unless the witness appearing before the commission requested an open hearing. No witness except one requested that. So second, the hearings except one were conducted in private. They were not secret, so they were held openly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just to get that out of the way, right? Just so it was an open, but uh, but it was but an open forum. It's an open forum, except for the ones that were held in private, which except for the were... one or two. Yeah. No, I thought they were all held in private. No, only only if they requested it to be held in private. Oh, so I, if you I, were a I witness, thought, I thought you were saying they were all like only one person requested it to be public. My bad. Yeah, it's the My opposite. Bad. So flip, one flip person yeah. requested it to be private right. for whatever reason. Yeah, I don't okay. really understand. So they all say. happen. Yeah. Well, but. Were the general public allowed there? Like, yeah, like just it was like open. Every Tom, Dick, and Harry could just like go. Yeah, but they hunt. They they individ, They they interviewed pff, hundreds of people. Yeah. Oh no. So sure. at, at a certain point, you kind of go. This is boring. boring. <laughs> this is boring. Running out of film. Yeah. Uh, to give you an idea, uh, this is who was in it: Earl Warren. Okay, Warren Commission. Warren Commission. The guy is the Chief Justice of the United States. A guy named Richard Richard Russell. He was a senator in Georgia. John Cooper, Kentucky senator. Hale Boggs, Louisiana House Majority Whip. And then there was also Gerald Ford, <laughs> future president. Yeah. Gerald uh, Ford. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Then there was a guy named John McCloy, and he was the former president of the World Bank. Oh, okay. God. And then there was one other. And those, it, are, those are rando dudes on this fucking There's thing. one other, which is Alan Dulles. And he was the the director of the CIA. Did you catch that, Sean? Oh, I'm, I'm just... Alan I'm Dulles. Just holding my... Director of the CIA. I'm just holding my breath here. Because <laughs> I don't want to say too much. <laughs> okay, so here we go. You guys ready? Yeah. Yeah, this is the fucking... Here we go, John F. Kennedy. Let's do it. Okay, 11.40 a.m. on Friday, November 22nd, 1963, President JFK, Mrs. Kennedy, and their party arrived at Love Field, which is in Dallas. Behind them was the, day, was the first day of a Texas trip that was planned five months earlier by the president, the VP, and John Connolly, who is the governor of Texas. Okay. After leaving the White House on Thursday morning, they all arrived basically 11.40 a.m. on Friday, November 22nd. Mm -hmm. So plan for later that day was a motorcade through downtown Dallas, a luncheon speech at the Trademark, and a flight then to Austin where the president would attend a reception and speak at a Democratic fundraiser. From Austin, he would proceed to the Texas ranch of the VP. Okay? So these were his plans. Yeah, that's like that's the, what he that's was a, the do. script. Yeah? Evident on this trip were the very roles, which was an American president uh, like a normal, I guess, motorcade, which is the head of state, chief executive, party leader, governor. Like that's typical. like a normal, yeah. typical progression, right? Okay. So the Dallas motorcade, it was hoped, would evoke a demonstration of the president's personal popularity in a city which he lost in 1960. So in 1960, when he was running against Nixon, hmm. he lost Dallas. Okay. Yeah. So he went then there to kind of pump it up. Yeah. I guess this is the word. Win, right? win pump, back. Win pump, back. pump it up. Yeah. <laughs> so it was decided that it would be two days. Okay. And those responsible for planning were the governor, which is Connolly, right? And then Kenneth O'Donnell, which is a special assistant to the president. Okay. Okay, good. So the Secret Service was told on November 8th that 45 minutes had been allotted to a motorcade procession from Love Field, which is the airport, to the site of the luncheon. So 45 minutes of driving. Yeah. Slow. Boring. Super <laughs> slow, right? <laughs> um, 
So after considering the facilities and security problems of the buildings, blah, blah, blah a place called the Trademark was chosen. Okay, Trademark is like... That's where he was going to speak. Yeah, that was, that where, was where he was at the, lunch, the luncheon speech. That's right. Yeah. That's where he was going to go to, like, that's the end of his motorcade. Right, right. And, it, and uh, what a Trademark is, is it's basically like, they don't have it anymore really, but it's like, uh, just imagine a mall mixed with a conference center. Okay. Where they have like booths. Like, you ever go to a conference and then everybody's got a booth? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah now throw in a mall. Well, why would there be a... I know, it's called a trademark. I don't know. Like, oh, that's I thought just, that was just the name of the place. It. No, <laughs> it is just the name of the place, but... That's what it means. That's what it was. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Then it was a trade. Mark. <laughs> there you go. It's so stupid. I know, I know. Maybe that's why it stopped being a thing. So the route was approved by a local host committee and the White House representatives on November 18th and publicized in the local paper starting on November 19th. So that means it was made publicly known November 19th. Oh, like what he was going to do, okay. like his, his like his agenda. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that, that is important. So Yeah, for sure. He was killed on November 22nd. So it was three days. Three days okay. earlier. In the newspapers, it was announced JFK would be blah, would be there, would be this, and would end up there. Yeah, I see. Right? Okay. This advanced publicity made it clear that the motorcade would leave Main Street and pass the intersection of Elm and Houston Street as it proceeded to the trademark by way of the Stemmons Freeway. So by mid-morning of November 22nd, the clearing skies in Dallas dispelled the threat of rain, and the president greeted the crowds from his open limousine without his bubble top on top on it. <laughs> I can imagine like the bulletproof bubble top must be so fucking aka. <laughs> right? like, so apparently, <laughs> apparently JFK wanted it to 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 not have a bubble top. Yeah, he probably like wanted to like be like a real person. Yeah, He's like yes, a exactly. fucking dude. He wanted to say hi to everybody. He wanted to shake their hands, and he wanted to be real. Exactly what you're saying, right? So the to the and left, who, of, and who doesn't love a drop top? I know, right? Like, especially in the sixties, baby. Like, woo. So to the left of the president in the rear seat was Mrs. Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Okay, so president's okay. here. Yep. To the left of the president in the rear seat is Jacqueline. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, in the jump seats were Governor Connolly. Okay. In front? No, so in the, the front. Ju- the, yeah, the jump, the jump seat's like a little side seat that like kind of pop. It's almost, it's like, it's hard to explain. It's like a little seat that pops down. Yeah. It's, kind of and, sit, it's on the side. And it's what's in front. It's in the front. It's yeah. in the two front, front seats, but they're not really like. They're not really seats. They're, they're like, like they're, they're like they call se- them jump seats because they're lower, okay. right? They're lower and they're they're actually back a little bit. Okay. Right, and they're not really normal seats, and that's you know. It's like in a yeah. I'm assuming a, they call it jump street or seats because you can jump the fuck out of them real quick. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm out. <laughs> but you know, we'll have to look that up. We should have put Kennedy yeah. in the jump seat. I know, right? Yeah, seriously. Uh, okay, so Connolly was in front of the president, okay, and and the wife was on the left. Yeah. Okay. okay. And Agent William Greer in the Secret Service was driving, okay, and Agent Roy Cullerman was sitting to his right. Okay. You tracking? Yeah. Yeah. So what's really important in this whole thing is that Connolly was lower than JFK. Yeah. Okay. That's right. It's really important to know that. It's not like you're just sitting in front of me. You're sitting Connelly lower, was like lower you're like in front of me. Yeah. Yeah. Because just the way that the seat was. he's ready to jump. Yeah. Because he's ready to go. Jump, jump seat. <laughs> so directly behind the presidential limousine was an open follow car that had eight Secret Service agents. Two in the front, two in the rear, two on each running board. The ones that are no, standing. Like they're, stand, they're, yeah. they're actually outside the car, yeah. Right. These agents, in accordance with normal Secret Service procedures, were instructed to scan the crowds, the rooftops, the windows of buildings, overpasses, yeah, look for, crossings. Look, look for sketchy motherfuckers. Exactly. Sure. Right? <laughs> Behind the follow-up car was VP car carrying the VP and Mrs. Johnson and Senator Ralph Yarborough. And next were a VP follow-up car and several cars and buses yeah, behind like, that, right? They're like the, the, the scrubs. Yeah. They're, like, they're still like on the VP, VIP list, but they're like, you know, yeah, scrubs. Exactly. Okay, so now we know the lay of the land, right? So here we go. The motorcade left Love Field at 11.50 a.m. 
proceeded through residential neighborhoods, stopping twice because JFK requested to greet well-wishers by shaking their hands. Okay. So he stopped shake. twice, right? Each time the president's car halted, Secret Service agents from the follow-up car that we just mm -hmm. learned moved forward to assume protective with, stances with the eight homies. near yeah. the president yeah, yeah, and Jacqueline. As the motorcade reached Main Street, uh, things got out of control. The, 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 like, it was the, just, like too many crowds. Too many. So many. Too many. Yeah, like, and like eight, eight, dudes, eight yes. dudes can't do yeah. shit. Yeah. The <laughs> word that the Warren Commission used was tumultuous. Ooh, tumultuous. What a, yeah. what a saucy word. That's a tumultuous word. Yes. So <laughs> as the president's car approached the intersection of Houston and Elm, uh, there loomed directly – this is how they state it. There loomed directly ahead on the intersection northwest corner a seven-story orange brick warehouse and office building. And that was called the Texas School Book Depository. You can tell this shit was written in the 60s too. Yeah. They yeah. loomed. I'm like, damn, it's like a fucking like, – Wrapping up my chamber door. <laughs> so as of note, as of note, riding in the VP's car was an agent Rufus Youngblood of the Secret Service. <laughs> Rufus Youngblood, dude. And I'm gonna name he, my first son. He's on record as noticing that the clock atop the building indicated 12:30 p.m. The scheduled arrival time at the trademark. Ooh. So they were behind. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay, the president's car, which had been going north, made a sharp turn toward the southwest onto Elm Street at a speed of 11 miles an hour. It started down the gradual descent toward a railroad overpass under which the motorcade would proceed before reaching the Stemmons Freeway. Okay? Now, I've been there. I went, yes, I Eric, went there. Eric yeah. has been on I went to on do foot, this whole thing. I did the foot, yeah. Dealey Plaza. I did the, the book depository. I did all of it, right? That's the kind of research we bring that's, you guys. That's, I mean, like, we're on site. Literally, literally we, on me site. and Jorge sent Eric there with yeah. our own mm -hmm. credit cards. Mm -hmm. That's right. <laughs> that's right. We didn't There's still an that. X in the middle of the street, too. Yeah. Yes. It's crazy. I spray painted it. It's tape. It's like white <laughs> duct tape. That's what I said. Yeah, that's, 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 that's my accent. That's what I said. Um, but it's basically a sharp. So just imagine you're going downtown Maine. Like you're going downtown, and then it's a left. Oh, you're like okay. beep, and then you go downhill, and then there's an under. There's an overpass, yeah, over, yeah. and you go it's slow right? rolling. Right before you got to the overpass, that's when he got shot. Bye bye. Mm. So he was going 11 miles an hour. Okay, the front of the the Texas School Book Depository was now on the president's right. Mm. So he was going that way. So, so the big building's on the right-hand side, right? And he waved to the crowd assembled there as he passed the building. Dealey Plaza, which is an open landscaped area marking the western end of downtown Dallas, stretched out to the president's left. Right. Okay. A Secret Service agent riding in the motorcade radioed the trademark that they would arrive in five minutes. So they're five minutes out from the destination. Or T minus five from, from the, from yeah. the nest. Seconds, seconds later, okay. shots popped in rapid succession. Now, how many shots does the Warren Commission say? Doesn't say. say. Those fucking troll cunts. Well, we'll see. In the conclusion, it does talk about it, but it doesn't really, like, in the, in the summary, it doesn't really talk about it that much. Uh, they just talk about of course the they, of course they don't. he's dead. They talk about the effects of the bullets as opposed to the here's the effects of the bullet bullets. death yeah so death happened yeah. those the effects of the so bullet. the president but, that, but, that, but so, that's a very key thing right it's as, extremely as we're gonna as we're gonna key. see as we get into I know. this like, I'm sorry I'm jumping the gun how here many, My, how many oh shots. what a double entendre there so this is what they say this is double word for double. word this is from the Warren Commission mm -hmm. seconds later shots resounded in. Rapid succession. The president's hands moved to his neck. He appeared to stiffen momentarily and lurch slightly forward in his seat. A bullet had entered the base of the back of his neck slightly to the right of the spine. Mm. It traveled downward and exited from the front of the neck, causing a nick in the left lower portion of the knot in the president's necktie. Holy shit. Mm. So before the shooting started, Governor Governor Connolly had been facing toward the crowd on the right. So Connolly was like this, looking to the right, <laughs> like hit him in the jump seat, like hit him in the, the, in the back. Yes, yeah, right. so this is the governor, <laughs> and he's waving like this in his hey. jump seat, and he's lower, and he's waving like this. Yeah. 
So before the shooting started, Connolly had been facing toward the crowd on the right. He started to turn toward the left and suddenly felt a blow on his back. Yeah, so he got shot in the fucking back (laughs) through a neck. The governor had been hit by a bullet which entered at the extreme right side of his back at a point below his right armpit. It's right here. Oh, fuck. That's a shit place to get shot. That's like right. You're going to hit him in the heart. This is important. This is the magic bullet of... This is the uh, magic bullet right. of Oliver Stone. Shut up, Jorge. Yeah. <laughs> so the bullet traveled... John has his heart on the right, by the way, guys. Right, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> the bullet traveled through his chest in a downward and forward direction, exiting below his right nipple. Ooh. Okay. okay. Save that nipple, baby. Right nip. <laughs> it passed through his right wrist. What? Which had been on his lap. Okay. So it's like a super down. It's like it's a downward yeah, fucking downward angle, right? And then caused a wound in his left thigh. Jesus Christ! This fucking bullet just like so this is the magic bullet, right? This life. is what they exactly. call it, the this magic the bullet. Quote unquote. So it magic hit. Bullet. It hit. So going hit back Kennedy. a little bit, it hit Kennedy through the throat. Then hit homie in the back. Hit him right out through the back and the nipple. Through his chest. Nipple. Hit his, his wrist, wrist. Through his leg. To his left thigh. <laughs> yeah. It's like, is this like a 50 cal? Like, this just is <laughs> fucking going, bro. Yeah, but even then, okay. The force going. of the bullet's impact appeared to sp- spin the governor to his right. So then he went, <laughs> and Mrs. Connolly pulled him <laughs> down into her lap. <laughs> that was amazing. Then another bullet struck Kennedy in the rear portion of his head. Yeah, Oof. and that's when it's like fucking, that's when it's like head that was the, it's like when the top of his head pops yeah, off. Yeah, that was back yeah. into the left. Uh. Back. And to the left. Yeah, because yeah. that's that's a key thing. The back and to the left. Back to the left. Because yeah. in terms of trajectory. Well, we'll yeah. get we'll get that later. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that, guys. Whew. Sorry, I'm already getting I'm already my heart's already racing. Yeah, I know. So <laughs> Secret Service agent Clinton Hill was riding on the left running board of the follow-up car. He heard a noise which sounded like a firecracker and saw the president suddenly lean forward and to the left. Hill jumped off the car, raced down the president's limousine. In the front seat of the car, Agent Youngblood heard an explosion and noticed an unusual movement in crowds. He vaulted into the rear seat and sat on the VP in order to protect him. So he literally just smothered the VP. <laughs> Get the fuck yeah. out! Yeah. <laughs> Shut the fuck up! At the same time, Agent Kellerman in the front seat of the president limousine turned to, the ob- to observe the president. Seeing that the president was struck, Kellerman instructed the driver, let's get out of here. We are hit. He radioed ahead to the lead car. Get us to the hospital immediately. Agent Greer immediately accelerated the presidential car. As it gained speed, Agent Hill managed to pull himself onto the back of the car where Mrs. Kennedy had climbed. Hill pushed her back into the rear seat and shielded the stricken president and Mrs. Kennedy as the president's car proceeded at high speed to Parkland Hospital, which is four miles away. So at the scene of the shooting, there was an evident confusion at the outset concerning the point of origin of the shots. Mm -hmm. It was very confusing where they came from. Witnesses differed in their accounts of the direction from which the sound of the shots came from, right? So within a few minutes, however, attention was then centered on a place called the Texas School Book Depository Building. Multiple people basically converged on this building. As like, this is the spot, the depository. right? Yeah. Okay. Now, this is a very important part of this whole story. Ready? Extremely. Let's, let's see if you can follow along, okay? okay? Several eyewitnesses in front of the building reported that they saw a rifle being fired from the southeast corner window on the sixth floor of the book depository. I've been there. Oh, it's from the book depository. Yeah. Uh, the it, depository I, of books. Yeah. I, I yes. thought it was... Never mind. Keep going. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I thought it's it was... Gonna, a... <laughs> well, it's going to be... Yeah. Keep going, keep going. So one eyewitness, Howard L. Brennan, had been watching the parade from a point on Elm Street directly opposite and facing the building. Don't trust this guy. He promptly told a policeman that he had seen a slender man. Slender man. Slender man. Slender man. What is slender? Like a skinny Skinny guy. Am I slender? No. 100%. You're you're slender-ish. We'll get into that later. (laughs) So he said he saw a slender man, five foot ten, in his early thirties, take deliberate aim from the sixth floor, 
How the fire fuck, a okay. rifle in the direction of the president's car? I'm sorry. How the fuck is he seeing his whole build and he's on the yeah. sixth floor and he's on the ground? True. He's like he's five foot ten. True. How the fuck can you tell that from a, a window? True. True. I'm gonna six, give you that one. That's six stories tall. That makes sense. He was five ten. He he was smiling. He mm-hmm. told me to fuck off. <laughs> he was drinking a Bud Light. Yeah. <laughs> like, damn, he, he had l- bright blue eyes. I know, it's like really specific details. <laughs> like I can't see six like two stories. High is, how how high is that? Uh, a story is roughly twelve feet. So okay, so he's he's like seventy to hundred feet. feet high. Yeah. Like, yeah. And he's like mm, five ten. Yeah. <laughs> like okay. Yeah. Got it. He was wearing a flannel. <laughs> Definitely a flannel. Hit a, hit a bulge on the left mm-hmm. side, not the right. Is that a gay joke? No, of course not. <laughs> okay, so Brennan, which is the witness, Brennan thought he might be able to identify the man since he had noticed him in the window a few minutes before the motorcade made the turn. 80 feet above him. So at 12.34 p.m., the Dallas police radio mentioned the depository building as possible source of the shots. 12.45, the police radio broadcast a su- description of the suspected assassin based primarily on Brennan's observations. Yeah, because this guy is like, God? Like, what the fuck? So when the shots were fired, a Dallas patrolman, Marion Baker, the Marion was riding in the motorcade at a point several cars behind the president. He turned right from Main Street onto Houston Street and was about 200 feet south of Elm Street when he heard a shot. Baker, having recently returned from a week of deer hunting. Now, what the fuck? Hold on. That's such a random mm. point. This is, this is word for word the Warren Commission After report. After a deer hunting event so, a week so le- before. They, they throw in this sentence of Baker having returned recently from a week of deer hunting to show he's a credible witness to gunshots. <laughs> yeah, it's a gunshot right? sound. Yeah. That's what yeah. they're doing. Oh, yeah. That's what they're doing. Okay. But, but he said recently it was like seven months ago. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. He killed no deers. He fired <laughs> no, no guns. He's yeah, yes. drunk. Yeah. It's kind of okay. like when you go golfing. You just, yes. fucking, you just go out there. Yeah. Drink. Babe, I'm a professional. <laughs> <laughs> Tiger called me. <laughs> okay. So Baker, having recently returned from a week of deer hunting, was certain the shot came from a high-powered rifle. Certain. Sir, he looked up. He looked up and he saw pigeons scattering in the air (laughs) from their perches on the Texas School Book Depository building. The Warren Commission shit reads like a shitty book. He he raced his motorcycle to the building, dismounted, (laughs) scanned the area to the west, and pushed his way through the spectators toward the entrance. Is this John Wick, like, in the past? (laughs) There he encountered Roy Truly. And Roy Truly is the building superintendent for the The, Texas Book Depository. depository. God damn, that name's horrible. I know. Uh, So he offered Baker to help. Yeah. I'm a superintendent. So they so. entered. So so here we are. The assassination has already occurred. You got homie on the baker on the on the on the bike. Yeah, vigilante he comes in. He's a deer hunter from past, from recently rendezvous. <laughs> and he comes in. He finds a superintendent standing outside of the building. He's like, "Hey, help me out. Let's go inside." Okay. So they go inside. And the fact that the guy's like, "Sure," they enter the building. They ran in. They ran toward the two elevators that are in the rear. Finding that both elevators were on the upper floor, they dashed up the stairs. Not more than two <laughs> minutes had elapsed. So two minutes had gone by since the shooting. So when they reached the second floor landing on their way up to the top of the building, Baker thought he caught a glimpse of someone through the small glass window in the door separating the hall near the stairways from the small leading into the lunchroom. Okay, so gun in hand, Baker, Wait, gun in hand. How does he have a, okay, so deer hunters, he's got a gun on him? No, he's, a, he's a policeman. Well, yeah. Oh, Baker's my bad. a policeman. My bad. He's a patrolman. My he's bad. Got, he's got a bike. I was like, damn, I was like, yeah. if you're a deer hunter, you can just fucking have gun. Oh, it is Texas. It is, it is, it is Texas. Texas. It is Texas. You know what? It makes sense. He's yeah. got a gun on I, yeah. I totally understand that. Lone star. <laughs> I know. He's like, open carry, yeah. bitch. Uh-huh. <laughs> so gun in hand, he rushed to the door and saw a man about 20 feet Away, walking toward the other end of the lunchroom. He was slender, 5'10". <laughs> the man, <laughs> super on point there. The, the man was empty-handed. At Baker's command, the man turned and approached him. Baker's command. Truly. 
started up the stairs to the third floor ahead of Baker, returned to see what had delayed the patrolman. So Baker asked truly whether he knew the man that he saw in the lunchroom. Do you know this man? Do you know this man? Yeah, who is this guy? Is he slender? Right? Truly replied that the man worked in the building. Whereupon, thank you, fucking <laughs> Warren Commission. <laughs> whereupon, Baker turned from the man and proceeded with Truly up the stairs. So he saw a guy in the lunchroom He's said, like, "Hey, bitch!" Said, "Hey, no, this guy works here. Let's go forward." Oh, he was like, oh, okay. you're, you're cool. Yeah. Yeah, you're cool. You couldn't have killed the president. Yeah, you're yeah, good. You're, you're good. good. You're Gucci. Let's go up the stairs. So truly replied that the man works in the building, and then went up the stairs. The man they encountered started working in the Texas School Book Depository in October, and his so, fellow- So like a month before. Yes. Right? A yeah. month before, of which he was described by his coworkers as a loner, and his name was Lee, Lee Harvey, Harvey Oswald. Oswald. So within about one minute after his encounter with Baker and truly Oswald was seen passing through the second floor offices in his hand was a full fucking Coke bottle, which he had purchased from the vending machine in the lunchroom. Right. So at least he, you know, okay. pays for his Cokes. Yeah. He was walking toward the front of the building where a passenger elevator and a short flight of stairs provided him access to the main entrance of the building on the first floor. Approximately seven minutes later at about 1240 PM. Oswald boarded a bus at a point on Elm Street, seven short blocks east of the depository building. So he walked out of the depository building, went to a bus stop, got on a fucking bus. To where? Okay, here we go. Got two tickets to paradise. The bus was traveling west toward the very (laughs) building from which Oswald had come. Its route lay through Oak Cliff section, southwest Dallas, where it would pass seven blocks East of where he was living, seven blocks from where he was living, at 1026 North Beckley Ave. On the bus was, this is a coincidence of all coincidences. On or, the or bus. Is it? I know, or is it? On the bus was Mrs. Mary Bledsoe, which was one of Oswald's old landladies. Okay. It was his old landlady, like previous Does she recognize rentals. Oh, hey, Oswald. Just imagine seeing your old landlady ever. Even, never, ever, ever, ever. The coincidence is absolutely I wouldn't even recognize her because yeah. it would never happen. So she was on the bus and she ID'd him. Hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. A little, little too, little too. Oswald stayed on the bus for three to four minutes. Yeah. On the bus, he stayed on the bus for three to four minutes, during which time it proceeded only two blocks because of the traffic jam that was being caused from the death of a the president. crazy, like out of control things. Oswald then left the bus. A few minutes later, he entered a vacant taxi that was four blocks away. So he went four blocks out of the bus. Like, drive, son. And got into a taxi, <laughs> right? Get out of here. Just drive. <laughs> Oswald. <laughs> so then he asked the driver to take him to North Buckley Ave, which is several blocks beyond his where he was living. Ooh, North Buckley. The trip was six minutes. Cost him... 12 cents. So at, a, at about 1 p.m., he then arrived at his apartment. But I thought he went to Buckley Ave. He did. Confusing as shit, right? This is just the data that is there. Wow, Warren Commission's really top notch. So he took a <laughs> cab four or five blocks away from his home. And then walked Got back. out of the cab, walked to his apartment. Maybe he was like trying to like erase a tail or something? I like... don't know. So the housekeeper... Mrs. Roberts was surprised to see Oswald, who come home midday because he had a job. And he remarked to him that he seemed in quite a hurry. He didn't reply to her. A few minutes later, Oswald emerged from his room, zipping his jacket, and he rushed out of the house. Okay? 14 minutes later. Jacket zip was. I know. I know. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know why the Warren Commission so, added report. Fucking zipper jacket. Because literally, they're like, Honestly, they're like he's it's got ridiculous. a gun in there. He's got a gun in there. He zipped up his jacket. He's, he's hiding shit <laughs> under the, in the jacket. No, you, know what it, you know, you made a good point. It actually reads like a novel where it, you're doing foreshadowing. Dude, it it, yeah. it does. Like, everything right? about yeah. this. Like, where I'm you like, zip the jacket. Oh, well, why did he zip the jacket? He's got something in the jacket. Because you know what's going to happen in a minute. Like... There's something in the jacket. I listen to a lot of audiobooks. This yeah. literally sounds like an audiobook. Yeah. Like, it's like, it's a fucking, it's a novel. So approximately 14 minutes later, which is now, we're now 45 minutes away 
from Kennedy dying. Okay. Or getting shot. shot. Yeah. yeah. Another violent shooting then occurred in Dallas, and the victim was uh, a police officer named J.D. Tippett. And this is what I was telling you earlier. Exactly, uh-huh. yes. J.D. Tippett, right? Oh. So he was a Dallas police officer. He had a great re- record. He was with them for 11 years. And um, he was basically shot near 10th and Patton. And that was about a mile from o- Oswald's apartment. Okay? At the time of the killing, Tippett was alone in his patrol car. He had been ordered by radio at 1245 to go to that location as part of a patrol car activity to monitor the assassination and all the ca- mm. chaos that was going on. So at 12.54, Tippett radioed that he had moved as directed and would be available for any emergency. By this time, the police radio had several broadcasts saying, there's a suspect, uh, 5'10", white male, slender, slender. <laughs> yeah, uh, 30 years old, you know, that whole thing. 165, which is way less than I am. <laughs> So you, Dude, I'm, so definitely, so I'm definitely not, not slender. slender. I mean, I, I weigh 60 pounds. I'm, beef, beef, I'm beefed <laughs> out. <laughs> Enough about us. <laughs> Anyways. So at approximately 1.15 p.m., Tippett was driving slowly in a direction on East 10th Street. Creeping, as we say. Tippett pulled up alongside a man walking in the same direction. So he's going super slow. Guy was you know sl- how cops do. And guy was slender as fuck. He's super slender. 150. <laughs> <man>. <laughs> super slender. He pulls up aside. <laughs> he pulls up aside next to him. The man met the general description of the suspect. Hey, slender. 510, slender. Hold the hold your horses, slender man. So he the the man walked over to Tippett's car. He rested his arms on the door on the right hand side of the car. And apparently they talked. Nobody knows what they said. They exchanged words. Tippett got out of his car. He opened the door and he went around. You know, he's like in the driver. He went around, right? And went to the man. As he reached the front wheel on that side, the man on the sidewalk drew a revolver out of his zip jacket. I love it. Like, does it say out of his zip it jacket? I added that in. There. Oh my god! I was <laughs> no, like, no, but it does say. It does say. <laughs> it says Tippett opened the door on the left side and started to walk around the front of his car. As he reached the front wheel on the driver's side, the man on the sidewalk drew a revolver and fired several shots in rapid succession, hitting Tippett four times, killing him instantly. Oh wow! An automobile repairman, Domingo Benavidas. <laughs> Can you help me out there, Hori? Did I say that right? Dominguez. Domingo, Domingo Benavides. Benavides. Oh, Benavides. 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 Ah, hey, heard hey, the hey. shots, and he stopped his pickup truck on the opposite side of the street, about 25 feet in front of the car. He observed the gunman start back towards Patton Avenue, removing the empty cartridges, you know, the, the, you the, know, shells, the yeah. shells, right, from the gun as he walked. Benavides rushed to Tippett's side. The patrolman was already dead by the time Benavides got him. He got hit Fuck. four times. Did Benavides Tippett describe was, the guy he saw? Shit. Tippett was lying on his revolver, which was out of his holster, meaning Tippett tried to pull. Oh, uh, but he got, he got shot he before he could do done, anything. Yeah. Done, 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 done. Yeah. Benavides promptly reported the shooting to the police over the radio in the car. The message was received at 1.16 p.m. So as the gunman left the scene, he walked hurriedly back towards Patton Avenue, turned left, headed south. Standing on the northwest corner of 10th Street and Patton Avenue was Helen Markham who had been walking on that, and she she saw both the killer and Tippett cross the section. She saw the whole interaction, basically. She saw the man with the gun, cut the lock, you know, cut through the corner, like the whole fucking thing. Little shebang. Yeah. In the corner house itself, there's somebody named Mrs. Barbara Davis, and her sister-in-law heard the shots, rushed to the door, and saw the man walking across the lawn. You know, these are witnesses who saw it. Shaking a revolver as if he was emptying it, you know. Yeah, you were like, like you know, old school. Yeah. Later that day, each woman found cartridges in their front lawn. Did they save them? It I don't know. It they, doesn't matter. I don't know the Just answer to that. Sorry, yeah. But this is in the the Warren Commission. Yeah. So as the gunman turned the corner, he passed alongside a taxi cab, which he parked on Patton Avenue. The driver, Scoggins, had seen the slaying and was now crouched behind his cab on the street side. The gunman cut through the shrubbery on the lawn. Scoggins looked up and saw the man approximately 10 to 12 feet away. In his hand was a pistol, and he muttered the words which, the words which sounded to Scoggins like, poor dumb cock, cop, 
Poor cock. dumb cock. <laughs> you stupid cock. <laughs> well, his, I mean, his name was Tippins. So. <laughs> you just, just poor uh, dumb cock. <laughs> <laughs> he muttered the word so bad. on his dusty that was breath. The deepest bad of all bads. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> I literally <laughs> turned the word cop into cock. <laughs> you just added two letters, really? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Damn it. So Scoggins looked up and saw the man approximately 10 to 12 feet away. So he screwed him, saw the man. <laughs> In his hand was a pistol and he muttered the words, which sounded to Scoggins like poor dumb cop or poor damn cop. Got it. <laughs> Stupid. It's so stupid. It's hilarious. God, we're such children. (laughs) We're just a bunch of kids. Okay. So so at 1.29 p.m., the police radio had noted the similarity in descriptions of the suspects in the Tippett shooting compared to the assassination. Mm. At 1.45 p.m., in response to a witness's call, I have information. A suspect just went into the Texas Theater on West Jefferson. Within minutes, the theater was surrounded. So what happened is he went into a a, a, a movie theater or, or a theater, whatever you want to call it, Texas Theater, Motion Picture House, and he didn't buy a ticket. His walks in. Honestly. I'm, I'm supposed to be here. I got a reservation. No, yeah, that's literally what he did. He just walked in and he, they were like, hey, you have to pay. And he's like, fuck off. And he just walked in. I like it. Like, like he's like, and he's, he's like, yeah, I'm doing yeah. it. So he went into that theater, and so anyways, uh, then somebody called saying this is a weird guy. He fits this description. So then the house lights were turned up. The cops all showed up, and patrolman McDonald and several p- policemen approached the man who had been pointed out to them by the original witness. McDonald ordered the man to his feet and heard him say, well, it, it's, it's over now. The man drew a gun from his waist with one hand and struck the officer with the other hand. McDonald struck out with his right hand, grabbed the gun with his left hand, and after a brief struggle, McDonald and several other police officers disarmed him, handcuffed him, and drove him to headquarters, arriving at about 2 p.m. I feel like that seems like a little bit of an embellishment. He, Which part? There's like there's like 25 cops, and like he's like, he pulled a gun on me. Mm. I subdued him quickly, quickly grabbed his arm with lightning... Cat, like maybe it was reflexes. maybe it was not as dramatic. I know it just seems like they made it super yeah. dramatic and like what probably really happened is like, hey man, I have a gun, don't hit me, and they're like, no. got him, go <laughs> <laughs> like, the fucking ground, bitch. So following the assassination, police cars rushed to Texas School Book Depository in response to the, all the radio messages. Okay, shortly after one o'clock, Captain Fritz, who was the. Uh, I love that name, actually. Fritz. He was the chief of homicide and robbery in Dallas, please. He arrived to take charge of the investigation of the book depository. Deputy Sheriff Luke Mooney noticed a pile of cartons in the southeast corner. Okay. Cartons of cigs? Like, just boxes. Oh, okay. Boxes, cartons of boxes. He squeezed, squeezed through the boxes and realized immediately that he had discovered the point from which the shots had been fired. Of course he did. On the floor were three empty cartridge cases. Mm. There's the three, right? Even though he was only shot twice. A carton had apparently been placed on the floor at the side of the window so that a person sitting on the carton could look down towards Elm Street and the overpass and scarcely be noticed from the outside. Between this carton and the half-open window were three additional cartons arranged at such an angle that a rifle resting on the top carton would be aimed directly at the motorcade as it moved away from the building. The high stack of boxes, which first attracted Mooney's attention, effectively, effectively screened a person at the window from the view of anyone else on the floor. So Mooney's discovery intensified the search for additional evidence, and at about 1.22 p.m., which is 10 minutes after the cartridges were found, the deputy sheriff, Eugene Boone, turned his flashlight in the direction of two rows of boxes in the northwest corner near the staircase. And stuffed between the two rows was a bolt-action rifle with a telescopic sight. Mm. The rifle was not touched until it could be photographed. So it says. Mm. 
when Lieutenant J.C. Day of the Police Identification Bureau decided that the wooden stock and the metal knob at the end of the bolt contained no uh, fingerprints, he held the rifle by the stock while Captain Fritz ejected a live shell by operating the bolt. Lieutenant Day promptly noted that stamped on the rifle itself was a serial number C2766, as well as the markings 1940, Made Italy, and Caliber 6.5. The rifle was about 40 inches long, and when disassembled, it could fit into a handmade paper sack, which after the assassination was found in the southeast corner of the building within a few feet of the cartridges. Sounds super high-powered, like like the genius fucking deer hunter said. <laughs> well, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> this is ridiculous. It was a high-powered rifle. I've been around high-powered rifles many times, deer hunting. <laughs> okay, so as Fritz and Day were completing their examination of the rifle on the sixth floor... Roy Truly, the building superintendent, who was, like, touring everybody, apparently, oh, right, yeah. approached with information which he felt should be brought to the police. Earlier, while the police were questioning the employees, Truly observed that Lee Harvey Oswald was missing. <laughs> He's on the bus. He's, like, fucking dipping. <laughs> yeah. I'm out! So there were 15 men that worked uh, the book in, in the book <laughs> as, like, I, warehouse I'm workers gonna, gonna or look, whatever. I, don't even, I need to look up what that is. <laughs> what the fuck is a book depository? <laughs> That's where you deposit books. Is it a book suppository or like, book when depository? When was the last time you went down the street and you were like, oh, I got to stop off at the old book depository? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is, probably, this is like, pre-internet. So <laughs> That's true. I know. And uh, Oswald was missing. So after truly provided Oswald's name, address, description, et cetera, <clears throat> he arrived at headquarters shortly after two and asked detectives to pick up the employee who was missing, which is Lee Harvey Oswald. Standing nearby were the police officers who had just arrived with the man arrested in the Texas theater. When Fritz mentioned the name of the missing employee, he learned that the man was already in the interrogation room nearby. The missing school book depository employee and the suspect who had been apprehended was none other than Lee Harvey Oswald. Yep. So that's what we're going to do on episode da. one. Uh, we're going to do part two where we are talking about the interrogation of Lee Harvey Oswald. Oh, yeah. And the, what happens to him, you know, in the basement afterwards. Oh, yeah, we got a lot more juice. We got a lot more juice for you guys. Yeah. Until then, we'll see you guys later. Yeah, tune in next time. Finish this shit up. Hey, guys. Hope you enjoyed the show. If you want to reach out to us, please email us at info at theconspiracypodcast.com. You can check us out on Instagram at a conspiracy podcast. Also, don't forget to subscribe you can catch a new podcast almost every week. Just hit the little subscribe button at the top. It's a plus sign. We love show ideas, corrections, hate mail. Uh, above all, the most important thing you can do to support our show is leave a review. Uh, that's how this show keeps going is by reviews from you guys. Thanks a bunch.